How we doing, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Esports Forever podcast. My name is Ryan B. Hebert alongside Jacob Schrader. And today we've got a very special announcement here for our sixth episode in the first season of the Esports Forever podcast. Jacob, take it away. Yeah, so very special announcement. It's going to be going live on social media and in the Discord in maybe a few hours. Um, but a new sponsor of our podcast and our tournaments in general is EMP Money. Uh, EMP Money is awesome. Uh, they created what is called the EMP token. And this token basically tracks and is pegged to Ethereum at a 4,000 to 1 ratio, right? So what that means is it gives you know buyers the opportunity to purchase a high yield asset, which means it has the potential to return a lot of money. Um, but instead of traditional high yield assets, which are really risky buy-ins, uh, you know, such as altcoins like Dogecoin, you know, that one did well, but there's millions that didn't. Uh, this EMP token is actually pegged to Ethereum, right? So you're getting uh, access and exposure to what really is right now, at least the most popular cryptocurrency in terms of just people talking about it. Um, but it's, it's really cool how it's pegged 4,001, so you get that high yield. Um, and you know, in, in addition to the EMP token, they have eShare and eBond, which allows the community not only governance, but also the ability to help self-regulate the price of EMP. Um, so you know, if, if you're watching this and you're interested in new crypto technology, uh, if you're interested in the potential to make a lot of money uh, on the, the rise of Ethereum that we assume will happen, uh, you know, go check them out. I can link the the website actually in the chat. Um, I'll do that right now. Sounds great. Thanks for the introduction, Jacob. Appreciate it. And thank you to our sponsor, EMP Money. Glad to have you guys on board because it's going to be an awesome ride. Now, starting off right away this week, folks, I don't know if you guys know, I got a couple upgrades to the setup here. So, Esports Forever podcast is truly looking into the future, and it's saying that it's going to be a smooth, smooth ride. But without further ado, let's get into this week's topics. Right off of the bat, I want to get into the Esports Immortals team and Bitstamp. Bitstamp is a huge crypto site. They've been around for quite a while. It's a huge partnership between this esports team and crypto in general. And so this, I mean... Really, the proof is in the pudding, folks. This is and this is you know this is of my opinion right now, and Jacob may or may not agree, but uh, I I think he will. I think it, it's just a foreseeable fact for the future that esports and crypto are just gonna they're gonna be colliding. They already have been colliding, and it's it's just been a matter of time. And this I think this partnership is just a step in the right direction overall. I think more and more esports teams are going to embrace cryptocurrencies as either a form of payment or uh, really just as a way to provide some type of uh, like funding for for like sponsoring tournaments and stuff. I mean, you know, it's great. It's great and all that to get cash and stuff for a tournament. But I mean, these days, like, what if somebody comes somebody comes to you somebody comes to you and goes, "Yeah, uh, can I get like maybe like five Ethereum if I win this tournament?" Like. You know, five Ethereum, ooh, you know, it, like the number itself doesn't sound enormous unless you know what Ethereum is, right? And as, so as more people get educated, it just makes sense that as the future moves on here, more esports teams are, are going to start partnering with different crypto partners. I, I think it makes sense. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we saw this earlier with FTX and turning into TSM FTX. Um, you know, it sounds like this partnership is really similar 
Uh, they're not changing the name, um, but they're, you know, it's general branding for, for Bitstamp. Um, I, I think crypto and gaming, it, it does make, I mean, it makes a ridiculous amount of sense. Um, I still remember a scene from Ready Player One where uh, the main character is in a car and he ran out of gas um, and he basically went into his inventory, sold an asset and was able to generate coins, which, you know, he put into his gas tank immediately. And to me, that like literally represented cryptocurrency so well, right? Just the fact that you can make instant transactions. Uh, you can, you know, the, the entire market is open all the time. It's, it's self-regulated by everyone. And if you, you know, it, it's, it's so liquid. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, and that relates more to blockchain games, um, which will be slower and, and are still developing. Uh, you know, AAA studios haven't really gotten in, but you know, this, these sorts of types of partnerships are, are forcing the hand of these publishers. Um, you know, it sounds like this is really similar to TSM FTX. Um, and it's, it's awesome to see, right. It's, it's pushing crypto into the mainstream. Yeah, definitely, Jacob. I, I think this is it's a big step, uh, one step for man, another step for uh, crypto kind, uh, as, as I might say here. I think it's going to be it's going to be a, a big one. And I'm excited to see how other groups are going to take this and what they're going to do. So it's a matter of time. Moving on. Now, this one I really like because it has to do with FaZe Clan, which FaZe Clan, you know, they're, they're in esports, yes, but they've really become a, gr a bigger brand, right? They've become so much more than just esports, and I think that makes a lot of sense. You start as yeah. an esports company, you've expanded out into content creation, merch, clothing lines, reality. You know, like, it's just people, The it's a brand with reality stars, really, you know, so the, with the people signing yeah. on. And so, Face Clan and NFL. Big brand deal upcoming here for the Super Bowl and just in general. Here's the question, though. Is this a bigger deal for the NFL or is this a bigger deal for FaZe Clan? Now, 10 years ago, I would have said this was a bigger deal for FaZe Clan because they weren't as big. They weren't as well known. They were still getting around. They were still doing stuff. And in fact, I, you know, I say 10 years ago, FaZe Clan. I can't remember when FaZe Clan was founded. So I don't want to be embarrassed yeah. right now if someone comes out and says, Ryan, FaZe Clan didn't exist 10 years ago. But you get yeah, the so, point. So FaZe, yeah, FaZe Clan, I, it, I'm like 90% certain it started uh, around ooh, 2009. Okay. Uh, you know, gosh, let me just do a quick Google search. Sure. It started basically when Modern Warfare 2 came out. Yeah. Uh, and the thing about FaZe Clan is it didn't start with esports. It started with trick shotting. It started with content. It started with the the ill cam, uh, you know, top kill cams cam series. Um, you know, they've gotten into esports, but it's still. I wouldn't. Face Clan isn't even an esports focused organization, right? They're all about content. They're about their culture. Uh, you know, they have a ton of people on Face Clan that aren't gamers, right? Kyler Kyler Murray, who you know, he's a star NFL quarterback. He's in Face Clan. Uh, Juju Smith Schuster, I believe, is in Face Clan. Uh, Bronny James is in Faceland, right? They're all about content. They're all about culture. They're all about just general branding. Uh, you know, I would say this is still a bigger deal for Faceland. Uh, you know, the NFL is worth a lot more money than Faceland. Obviously. Um, but the NFL needed something like this. Uh, you know, it, it's official now. And Faceland has been working with NFL players uh, independently for a while. Uh, I'm actually incredibly excited to see what they do. Uh, I hope they bring back kind of the OG phase clan members, which I think they will uh, when they're really making a content push, they bring back people like uh, adapt and Blaziken um, to, to, you know, make that awesome content. Uh, I'm excited to see what they do. 
me as well, Jacob. I'm excited to see how this uh, phases out, uh, so to speak, because uh, I, 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 I do agree. I think this is a bigger deal for FaZe Clan than it is for the... Well, I, well, well hold on a sec. No. No, no, no. I was of a different opinion. Um, I thought this was a bigger deal for the NFL because like more, like most sports franchises, eSports is becoming more and more popular with younger populations of people. And while football is still extremely popular, I would say a little bit more so than the MLB, um, you know, the younger populations of people know who FaZe Clan is sometimes over their regional football team. So... You know, I, I I think that this is this is really a deal that's benefiting the NFL big time, uh, just with the amount of power and influence that Face Clan has over social media and pop culture today. So yeah, um, so you know, I think this follows a little bit the shift or or the you know, the the Nickelodeon games, right? The NFL for the divisional round matchups had a broadcast that they also did last year. Mm -hmm. uh, that when teams score, you know, the, the end zone got covered in slime, right? This is all augmented reality. Um, but you know, they, they did it last year. I actually think both years, it was the, like the most popular, yeah. uh, divisional round game they've ever done. Uh, and it's, it's really interesting to see that kids love that, right? They're waiting the whole game to see the slime monster pop up. And honestly, the AR uh, activations they did were sweet. Um, and then one more thing I would say is that, uh, you know, I, I saw a recent poll that said, um, you know, most NFL fans would rather watch the YouTube highlights of a game than the actual game itself. And I think, you know, that relates to baseball and the fact that nobody watches baseball anymore, at least you know, people close to our age. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the same things happen with football. I mean, football, if I, you know, I love football, I'm crazy into it. And I would lo like love watching full games, but I have to agree you know, if I'm not, you know, crazy into rooting for a specific team, uh, the, the highlights are, you know, more akin to what I want to see. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, man. I, it's, yeah, uh, that's you said it best. I've no, I have no words on the subject. Oh wait, I just remembered. I, I like blank. I remember something you're talking, and then I forget, and then I remember it again. I, it's a whole thing. It's, it's been a day. Spectacle is always going to grab the attention of a viewer. So I have a theater background, Jacob. And anytime you add spectacle into anything, which is exactly what Nickelodeon's AR graphics and things are on a broadcast. You know, Nickelodeon may not be targeted at adults, but I'll tell you what. Seeing a giant slime football player come out of the field during a game is definitely a little eye-catching. Just a little eye-catching, Jacob. Just a little, Okay. Yeah, it's going to grab my attention Absolutely. for a moment and then I'm going to get back to the game. So, you know, hats off to them. Hats off to the NFL for doing that. It's uh, it's been big. OK, moving on. Let's let's talk about an NFT project. So I'm bringing this back, uh, not for my personal enjoyment, but because this got some big attention and I wanted to bring it up. So I was lucky enough to get on the whitelist for a NFT project called Generative Dungeon. And the project got so swept that it actually caught the attention of Gary V and AJV brothers. Gary V is one of the biggest names right now in reselling NFT space, entrepreneurial space. I mean, the guy is just a walking motivational speaker when it comes to how can I succeed as an American in the U.S. today to become rich? And, and I mean, 
rich, but also be sympathetic, be empathetic, be passionate about what you do, all these type of things. And, you know, I don't know if you've watched like the early Gary V videos compared to now, Jacob, but like Gary V back in the day used to drop F-bombs left and right. And now today it's a very tame, very calm Gary V that that is like, you know, more sophisticated and more wise and truly has really is what every person does when they first enter NFTs. They educate themselves like crazy, surround themselves with people that know everything about it. And then after a certain amount of time, they are considered a pro themselves. And that's exactly what Gary Vee is these days. I mean, it's it's incredible. Yeah. So I wouldn't say Gary Vee is tame by any stretch of the word tame. Oh, he's still not tame, man. Like, let's be real. He's He still can be unhinged. And, but compared to, like, young younger Gary Vee from, like, five years ago, like, there's a difference. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't know Gary B way back when. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it's awesome. You got in on this project. Uh, I know you're doing a lot of content with them, uh, from your stream dungeons and dragons events. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, I, I saw the tweet and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Uh, I think AJ got in first and then Gary yep. kind of came on and, uh, you know, plugged it from his own channel. And, and the value of these NFTs is that you can actually play them, right? You can play them on OpenSea. You can play them on the website generative dungeons website uh and it's cool right it's it's just advancing nft technology it's advancing the utility that comes in nfts right it's not just an art project it certainly is to some extent but it's it's utility as well um you know it's it's a new thing that i think we'll see more of because this project got some attention yeah it, it caught the attention i just want to say once again because of the utility of it's a playable pixel game that you own that the the founders of this game are like building an entire ecosystem around owning a dungeon. You know, they're they're thinking about tournaments, leaderboards, and I'm going to be honest with you, Jacob. I'm doing my best to try to get somebody from that staff on the podcast for one of the episodes because I'd love to see some generative dungeon tournaments happening with our community. So, we'll see, we'll see what the future holds for us. I think it's just such a cool cool project. Go and check it out. Uh, the floor price was like super high. It's dropped a ton because it got, you know, it shot up and then, it, you know, the hype died down for now, for now. So floor price last I checked was like uh, it's hovering between 0. 0.7, 0. 0.9, but uh, it's definitely worth it. I mean, the dungeons are so cool. You could just sit there for hours just trying to go through and survive. So, you know, yeah. it's a dungeon crawler. And I would say it, ha it, ha it has good scalability as a project where, you know, some of the dungeons have 20 levels, some have you know more than that, and then some have unlimited um, you know, I know there's scrolls in there for rarity. I, I think it's more sophisticated than just a, a playable game on OpenSea. They did a good job with the, the rarity functions um, and also the fact that there's only 3,000. Uh, I, th I think that's part of the attraction to the project. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's pretty big uh, that they started out with such a low number because, you know, if they started out with 10,000 dungeons, you know that's really cool, but they don't—they don't get to say that that they are as unique. If you've got ten thousand of them with all of the different traits, and so one of the biggest things that uh, last last thing I'll mention with this, one of the biggest things that you know the guy who you know made this project came out to say was, you're gonna put this this NFT through all the different rarity tools, and here's here's the bottom line. Just because all of these tools say that something may not be super rare, um. That is one out of 3,000 dungeons to exist that is n really not anywhere else on OpenSea. And so, you know, 
take take those rarity tools that are meant to you know go over a JPEG or a PNG with a grain of salt. You've got yourself a playable dungeon. It's a lot more different than any any still image is going to be, and it's got tremendous potential. So, yeah, really excited you know, to one, see that. Yeah, one thing to add is, I mean the the whole rarity thing, right? How people are are trying to snipe for high rarity uh, NFTs, right? You know, it's, it's interesting because more rare NFTs, you know, they may not look as good to you, right? You may, the, the, you know, if you browse through a collection, you may find that the NFT you like the most is just not a rare one. Um, so I think that's overlooked sometimes. Uh, people are just going after rare images besides the one and, and not going after ones that, you know, fit how they want to display themselves. Um, so it's kind of just an interesting dynamic how the, the rarity determines value, but, you know, intrinsic value it, it it doesn't really correlate to the rarity yeah yeah i'm with you there man um so again like i said really excited to see this project uh mint successfully they sold out public sale lasted uh one second and then <laughs> um you know they they didn't really have a lot left but with what they did have left it literally lasted a second so that's so funny <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious so yeah uh, up next here this so this this is this is a little bit more serious, but I you know I type in crypto news for the day, and man, this is dominating headlines, uh, really on every site possible. Six years ago, there was a breach on a site called Bitfinex, Bitfinex, however you pronounce it, um, and so three point six billion in cryptocurrency was linked to this virtual exchange that got breached six years ago. The law enforcement was able to recover. $3.6 billion in crypto and arrest two people responsible for said breach in this company from six years ago. Like that is some incredible investigative skills in order to track down uh cryptocurrency, which, you know, um, this ain't cash folks. This is, this is, you know, for the most part, decentralized crypto. So especially with a breach as well. I mean, I commend, I commend law enforcement for uh, uh, specifically federal law enforcement we're actually taking the time to come together and try to find where all of this went. Cause uh, I mean, $3.6 billion in crypto is a lot of money, but I mean, to be able to successfully track it back to people is that's, that's pretty big. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't know if it's necessarily this exchange, but I was talking to a Splinterlands community member maybe three months ago. Uh, and he was telling me how he had $1 million with a Dogecoin. Um, and then, you know, the, the exchange, you know, like just like Bitfinex, it kind of, uh, you know, the security was violated and all the tokens were lost. Um, you know, it, it sucked. I think he's done pretty well on other coins. Uh, but I mean, this is always something that can't happen. Uh, you know, I think exchanges are generally more protected than bridges. Um, and what bridges are, bridges basically allow interoperability between blockchains. Right. So, you know, there's a bridge from Ethereum to the Binance Smart Chain. Right. And those bridges, if they're not built correctly, can, you know, just completely get, you know, hacked um, by outsiders. So, you know, I think this is something that has happened. I think I agree. It's, it's great that, you know, some reparation was had, um, but just always something to watch out for where your coins are being stored. Do your research, folks. Uh, always be sure that you feel comfortable and feel safe with where you're putting your money. You know, we're not professional financial advisors, but we do know one thing. Do your research. Do it. Mm -hmm. Up next, Elon Musk and the power of individuals with crypto. So 
once again, Elon Musk is, you know, all the rage on Twitter, uh, tweeting out this hilarious image of, uh, you know, uh, you know, in The Lion King, when uh, the monkey holds up Simba at the beginning of the movie. So it was like it was like Elon and then a couple other uh, famous people. I think Snoop Dogg was one of them. Um, the picture was kind of hard to see, but uh, it was just a bunch of people holding up Dogecoin or at least the, the head of Doge. And so last night and yesterday in general, you know, there was this huge uptick in Sheeb and uh, Dogecoin. And then, like, obviously, like, new Doge and Sheep coins come out, like, every single day. And mm-hmm. so I'll see, like, I'll see a post about this new Sheep coin is up uh, 200, 200% over Dogecoin and Sheep today. And it's like, yeah, no wonder. But, yeah. I mean, 2022, and we're still giving Elon Musk the power to control basically a stock, except it's a cryptocurrency. I mean, are we okay with this? Is, is, is this still okay? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, he does it with both stocks and crypto, right? Uh, he does it with Tesla stock. I mean, he does crazy stuff or, or he, you know, a, a few years ago, he was doing crazy stuff. Uh, you know, I remember he basically did a poll saying, should I sell? Uh, I don't, I think it was $10 billion worth of options on Tesla, right? That would have lowered the price. Uh, he also has tweeted that Tesla stock is overvalued. Right. So that is, is technically it's not okay. Right. Technically an individual is not allowed to say, say stuff like that as deemed by the SEC, but with crypto, right. There, there is no regulation. That's the whole point of blockchains and uh, a decentralized network. Um, So that's just something that's the nature of cryptocurrency. Um, Right. He has done so much tweeting about Dogecoin. uh, And, you know, I honestly do believe in, in uh, meme coins like that. Uh, I bought a lot of Dogecoin a, a, a while ago, and it's like a, a part of me. I love it. Um, I'm a hodl, man. I'm a hodl. You yeah, know? exactly. Uh, I'm just saying. So I've got Sheev and Doge, but I bought into Doge when nobody knew about it. So I got a ton of it for like nothing. Yeah. So that's uh, uh, I was kind of the same. There's <laughs> a, a lucky, uh, lucky buy. Wordle, NYTE, uh, New York Times decides to uh, pick up Wordle. Huge game. Buys it for a whole ton of money with the, uh, like, with a, with a, like, a slight note of when the game gets first picked up, uh, it is supposed to remain free. But for how long? Uh, they didn't specify. And so people who have been playing this game, because it's been all the rage, I, I personally have not played it. But, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Jacob, but it, on my Twitter timeline, I see Wordle updates every day <laughs> from people being like, yep, it either they got it that day or it screwed them over and they, it just did not work out for them. So this is a huge game. And it's, you know, it's it's definitely difficult. But it, it's I, the reason why I wanted to put this on here is because this started as a tiny project with amazing utility because is it was a it was a game that people love to play it changes every single day um, there's a lot more that can be done to it but it had such power and such pull over people that it literally gained a, a cult following on social media on all platforms Facebook Twitter Instagram um, even LinkedIn like I, I've seen wordle postings all over. And I mean, I don't know when the last time a Sudoku puzzle has truly done that, but uh, yeah, like that, I think that's just really big. And so 
it sucks that the New York Times will eventually put this behind a paywall because that's kind of what the New York Times is is known for. You know, they pick up a game and it's like, oh, yep, got to pay for it now. But at the same time, it's like, yeah. do you really want a newspaper to die? Yeah. So, uh, you know, what I think they're doing is I think this represents the shift to digitalization. You know, we, we newspapers 10 years ago were newspapers. They were in the news or they weren't in the news, but they were they were on, on paper. Uh, and, you know, most of their business now is via online subscription um, where you can just log into the website and view all articles. You know, that allows them to post more articles and it just it's a better revenue model. Uh, you know, what I think may happen is, is you know, instead of a daily crossword puzzle, there's a daily wordle. Right. I don't know exactly how Wordle works. Um, it's exactly but, like that. A daily Wordle. That's what it is. Oh, you know, I think that's that that when you said, you know, a word game. First of all, I love word games, um, but that's to me what, what they're going to do. I don't know if it makes sense to put the the, you know, I, I, that to me makes a lot of sense is basically having Wordle be exclusive to The New York Times. Um you know, you get news along with it, but you also get to play Wordle and those who really love the game. And if it really does have a cult following like that, you know, they could see some people subscribe to the New York Times just to play Wordle, um, yeah. which would be crazy. I mean, that's that's what it's. Uh, why did why did Microsoft, you know, take on Activision? Right. Like. Just, just so simple. Speaking speaking of Activision, Jacob, what's going on? What's going on with Blizzard, Activision Blizzard with uh, World of Warcraft? Because I heard they're making a big move. Yeah, so they're actually releasing World of Warcraft on mobile. Um, this is interesting, right? So maybe four years ago, uh, I believe it's Blizzard. Um, they said that they're bringing Diablo to mobile, right? Instead of announcing Diablo 4, they announced Diablo Immortals. And they basically got booed out of their own convention. Right. People absolutely hated this. It wasn't the right player base to do a mobile game or mobile games, you know, obviously skew younger. And Diablo was a game that was popular like 15 years ago. Right. The, the main Diablo series were around the time of Halo and people who play Diablo are, you know, they're 35, they're 45. Uh, you know, that's where their core franchise is. And they really messed up there by trying to do mobile. They actually backed out of that and released Diablo 4. Um, whether they have released Diablo Immortal on mobile as well, I think they have, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, as for World of Warcraft coming to mobile, you know, I, I think basically it's different, right? Because this is not a premium game title, which will cost money up front to buy like Diablo is. It's a, you know, holistic and continuing world. So, you know, I think this is just them trying to cater to a younger consumer base. Uh, I actually think this is a good move. I think, you know, Activision went with COD Mobile. That's crazy popular. Uh, I think this is just the, a continuation of Activision bringing their franchises to mobile in addition to the other platforms. It's great to see more inclusivity for more games on mobile. I, I think it's been accepted for a long time that this is just the way it's going to go. You know, with Nintendo, they 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 said, "Yeah, we're all for that," and then their their follow through is a bunch of gotcha games, which, you know, every uh, lots of people love those. I'm not a fan personally, but you know, um, I'm excited to see it come to uh, come to mobile because it just means that it increases the gaming market that much more because uh, so many people have uh, mobile phone these days capable of playing such game. So it's only up and up for Activision Blizzard. Uh, as they are now a part of Microsoft and are able to hit the uh, the small screen, so to speak. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. This, this next this next topic I I loved. I looked into this and I was like, wow, this is definitely interesting. So, an island nation of uh, Palau is what I'm going to call it. P A L A U is uh, going to embrace crypto, which is really funny because a number of years ago, their government actually banned uh, the the buying and selling and just overall use of Bitcoin. But uh, in recent months here, you know, this is a an island nation that relies on tourism. And with, with COVID, that is really just torn into the profits. And so the, the nation is saying, okay, look, we can't really make this happen through people coming here. But maybe we can offer a digital residency program. And so uh, the country signed into law. Uh, on December 22nd, the Digital Residency Act. And so it gives you uh, the power to do a few things, but it's it's pretty restrictive. Um, you're uh, issued a physical and digital ID card, and then it's in the form of a token, an NFT token for, uh, for your card. Uh, Blockchain-based deed bestowing you rights and privileges, yada, yada, yada. Um Cryptic Labs is is the company that they're partnering with, uh, but, but uh, when I say that, like two years ago, literally two years ago, they said no to cryptocurrency because they were taught that that's what drug dealers and terrorists use. That's literally a quote from somebody somebody representing the nation of Palau. Which, I mean, it's decentralized currency, and sometimes people doing stuff on a market that may not be legal may be using it to to get funds. That listen, I don't know for sure, but. That's what they were taught to believe, and I kind I feel like that's just been the, like the uneducated take of crypto in general is that yeah. oh, if you're a drug dealer, you're obviously accepting Bitcoin. It's like, I mean, they're they're not wrong by saying that. Exactly. I mean, crypto started for people to you know the Silk Road, right? That was a long time ago, but that was the inception of the the popularity of crypto, right? You know, things that were being sold on the the Silk Road were not good things, right? It was mostly things that were illegal. Um, you know, fake IDs all used to be bought in crypto. So, you know, that's where it started when the, the UX was horrible and, and there was no mainstream adoption. Um, and, the, you know, there really isn't a way to control um, people using cryptocurrency for things that might not be the best. Um, this specifically, um, the island basically, you know, creating, uh, you know, all land is, I, I kind of wonder how I understand this, it's stored on the blockchain where ownership is stored in the blockchain as well, no citizenship. I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, it's it's like, to me, this is a lot. Um, you know, it's like people are buying land in the sandbox right now, but, but this is, you know, real land that is all relating to the blockchain and ownership lies in the blockchain. Yeah. I mean, you can forget your house keys, but I mean, geez, now you if you forget forget your crypto keys, uh, that's a pretty big deal. Um, it, yeah, and uh, you know, for for the nation too, the biggest thing the the biggest thing coming out of this this act being signed, and the reason why they're doing it is because if you are accepted as a digital resident, okay, a uh, online citizen, you do not have any physical claim to anything on the island but you're allowed to legally change your name through through the the island nation you are uh you know given given an id right in the form of an uh physical and an nft 
And then lastly, this is where it's this is where it comes in big, Jacob. You are legally allowed, if accepted, to buy and trade currency because you are a digital citizen, which means that if you reside in a country that restricts cryptocurrency trading, this potentially could be a game changer. I know there's a there's a hype beast article that went into this a little bit more. And honestly, that that's a big thing. Like if you're in a country that does not allow for the legal buying and selling of uh, crypto, but you you become a digital citizen. I mean, you know, talk about a loophole in 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 laws, right? Like laws are not written and right now to cover such like a bait. I guess I'd call it a based idea, big brain. Like so, I mean, whoever thought of this at Crypto Labs, Cryptic Labs, sorry, definitely should be getting a pay raise because governments governments and their their regulations are not ready for this sort of thing because you know if i'm a digital resident somewhere and that island nation comes to back me up i mean like it's not a passport but it's a new form of identification that's being accepted by a recognized nation and so you know there's just so many complications and so but that's life right i feel like you can't just say to yourself oh that's not that's not legitimate when you know there's always going to be something new to challenge the status quo to what's happening yeah i think this is exactly that i think it's something that will eventually happen in a lot of places um but this island is, is the first one to do it and you know you got to start somewhere some argue that this is another uh you know the north goes to the south type of ploy where you know, a southern island nation is looking for a way to rake in some extra bucks, especially because of COVID. So you've got these saviors from the north, usually the United States, maybe in Europe, that sort of thing. These big tech companies coming down to these island nations, promising tons of money, promising help for the community. Um, and sometimes they don't always see it. And so I'm really hoping that with this project, if it actually goes through and does well for this nation, I hope it goes back to the people. And I hope that the government... Uh, you know, treats those people well, but that is sometimes few, few and far between. So we'll see. Moving on, uh, this next one, Jacob, I'll have you go into this. Gala Games, five billion into NFT expansion efforts in the year ahead. That's a lot of money to yeah. put down on NFTs. So Gala Games is a big deal. Uh, you know, I've been hearing about Gala Games all the time for about a year. Um, you know, really they're a game studio that wants to build a ecosystem around their, their, their blockchain and the, the games that live on it. Um, you know, they have their own gala token, but you know, really what they are is they're the first studio that's creating multiple, uh, blockchain games that all kind of revolve around the same currency and even further, uh, likely the same pair of NFTs. I'm sure they will create a game that, you know, allows multi-purpose NFTs, right? NFTs that can go between games. Uh, you know, they have so many games in the pipeline. I talked to them at Decentral, uh, a conference a few months back, and they were like, yeah, we have nine games on the pipeline. Uh, and nine games is a lot of games to be working on. Um, I think they only have two out right now. They have uh, Spider Tanks, which just came out. It's probably still in beta. Uh, it's, a, it's a mobile, or I mean, a, a arena battler. Uh, and then they have... Geez, I can't remember the game, the, the name, but it's like a farming simulator game. Okay. Uh, geez, I, I wish. Oh, Townstar. So the name is Townstar. Um, and Townstar was really popular, actually. They did a good job with that. Um, it's kind of like Farmville, I want to say, but, you know, with NFTs and 
actually the, the first guest ever on our podcast talked about it in great detail. Um, they had tournaments running where, you know, people would compete over the course of a week and the highest scores would win prizes. That's cool. Um, you know, they, they know how to do a, a gaming based economy with the blockchain. So I think, you know, the, the money that was put in will, will get put to keeping, you know, developing this whole blockchain gaming uh, economy. You love to see it. You love to see it. Yeah. That's, I, Always love to see the advancement of this. I'm I'm excited to see where it goes for them, and uh, hopefully we get some updates soon, Jacob. Because you know, I I personally was not familiar with Gala Games, but uh, definitely got to take some time to check it out. Yeah, the the token's done pretty well recently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we when we started in blockchain games, it was really cheap. I think it's up to like 17 cents now. Uh, but but definitely don't quote me on that. That's sweet. Well, good on them, and hopefully it works out for them in the next year. Our final topic of the podcast today has to do with EA Sports. It's in the game. Okay, EA. Okay, Holiday Quarter sees the largest bookings in company history. So uh, I looked into this article a little bit, and Jacob, I know you you brought it up to me as well. Um, You know, they touted some really impressive numbers for their holiday season, which is really cool to see. Big cash flow. I mean, no surprise. Uh, you know, the the biggest sports games of the year between, um, I know, NFL 22 uh, is obviously one of the biggest games in the U.S., um, but also FIFA 22 is one of the top selling in the Western world in 2021. Um, and then, obviously, Apex Legends. Oh, my goodness. Talk about esports. I don't know if you remember when Apex Legends dropped out of nowhere, Jacob. I don't know what you were oh, yeah. doing on that day, but mm-hmm. my goodness, I was getting out of class, and all of a sudden, my my phone's getting lit up with messages. <laughs> They're like, "Bro, have you heard about have you heard about Apex Legends?" I go, "What are you talking about? Free to play game, bro. Free to play game. Oh my god, I'm like, oh my goodness, check it out on Twitch. Check it out. Go get a drop. See if you can get 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 yourself a game." I'm like, "What is going on?" And so out of nowhere, this company decides to do no buildup of hype, just just drop the mic on everyone and be like, yeah, brand new free game, go wild, go buck wild. And honestly, you know, they're, they're different seasons. I haven't followed it too closely, but I have friends who do. And as of right now, from what I've seen, they're doing extremely well. You know, yeah. and it follows that model that we kind of talked about last week where it's a free-to-play game. Uh, obviously, there are different champions to unlock, different characters to to play with different abilities, uh, that sort of thing. And um, yeah, I mean, Jacob, what, what's you know, what do you what do you? Yeah. Know about this? So in, in the article, it, it mentioned that FIFA was the highest selling uh, premium title of 2022. Uh, FIFA 22 was the highest selling title of 2021. Yeah. Uh, Madden was third, right? So their sports games are just continuing to do well, right? Uh, you know. Recently, there was a development where FIFA has actually lost the rights to the FIFA name, right? So the next FIFA game that comes out will not be called FIFA, right? It'll be called something that EA comes up with. Um, but, you know, interestingly enough, over the past decade, you know, or just five years, EA has actually negotiated licensing rights with every single individual team that is a part of their game. So EA basically saw this coming. They basically, you know, reacted before the actual thing happened, right? The the backlash from FIFA. And yeah. EA is not shook by this at all, 
right? It's actually unbelievable that EA went out and secured individual licenses with each one of these games. I mean, just the fact that FIFA thought they were absolutely going to make a ton of money off of raising the price. And now they're, they're really in a, a bad position from a gaming standpoint. Um, you know, that's crazy. I would say for Apex Legends, you know, I remember the day it came out, uh, you know, I was thinking, is this game going to tackle Fortnite? I had a couple of friends that were like, oh my gosh, yes, it is. And, you know, I was like, I, I don't know. And at the time it didn't, right? At the time it, it was not. still kind of, you know, put behind, it, you know, interestingly enough, it was the most downloaded free-to-play game of 2019. Uh, I saw that in EA's annual report. Uh, I, I used to work in finance. So, right, looking at the, the annual report, that actually stood out to me. Uh, you know, not that, but I, I, so my boss in 2019, you know, when I was working as an intern at uh, a company called BTIG, he went on CNBC and was asked, okay, is Apex Legends season two enough? Uh, and, you know, we argued no, right? You know, the reason why it wasn't enough is in season two, there were no additional weapons added. Uh, the stats leaderboard was still bugged. Um, you know, and just generally there were, there were no major changes to the game. Uh, you know, on the other side of the conversation was, you know, we were playing the bear and someone else was the bull. You know, he basically says, you know, I know the, the creators of this game. Uh, it's created by Infinity Ward, right, which has you know, shown that they know how to do shooter games. And he basically said, I know that the longevity of this game will stick. And, you know, I had a feeling that he was right. Uh, you know, character based games are, are they do well. They, they scale well as you bring more characters in. It just gets more exciting. Uh, you know, they EA did not cater to the competitive scene nearly enough at the beginning, but I don't know if that was necessarily a mistake, uh, throwing a lot of money in when the game player base hasn't, you know, finalized. Um, and then just recently, right, a lot of content creators have shifted towards Apex, right? Nick Merckx is one of them. You know, Symphony will play Apex, I believe, every once in a while. But, you know, just that, you know, spurns a wave. Um, I'm not surprised that EA booked their highest earnings uh, in this quarter. Uh, you know, Apex is doing really well. Uh, I think actually Apex is doing unbelievably well. So I think that's a lot of the reason behind it. Yeah, I'm excited to see how it keeps doing and to see how the esports scene will keep reacting to it. So far, for right now, Riot is in my in my heart and in my mind and dominating my feeds all of the time. So EA still has a ways to go when it comes to a competitive scene, but Let's be real, Jacob. Who has the bigger field of players, the competitive or the casual? Because I'm going to be real. If I know anything about Pokemon, which I know quite a bit, <laughs> um, there is a bigger field of casual players than competitive. And when it comes down to, okay, how should we be spending our money? Should we, should we be putting it on a niche pool of competitive players? Or should we really try to be expanding so that we please our casual player base because there are just more of them? Yeah, I would say casual by like by threefold at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I, and I would also say that the casual crowd spends more money on the game. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it it will never really be the fact that game publishers, unless it's strictly an esport, you know, will spend more time catering to the competitive side than the, the casual side. Well said, man. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for your time today, and thank you to all of you who are watching this video today. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to subscribe, follow along on our social medias, which will be linked below in the description of this video. And also be sure to check out EMP Money, fantastic website, amazing sponsor. We thank them so much for joining us along here on the Esports Forever podcast. Well, that's what all we got time for today, folks. Until next time, we out.